Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's character and Smallman's Fresh Day. Powered by Schnucks. Eat good to feel great at Schnucks on 101 ESPN. All right, if baseball can get through their mess, and it is a mess, I think Rob Manfred... The one thing he did say that was absolutely correct was this is a disaster. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday, Dr. Anthony Fauci was interviewed by the L.A. Times about bringing baseball back. And he said, if the question is time, I would try to keep it in the core summer months and end it not with the way we play the World Series until the end of October when it's cold. I would avoid that. So he says that he would want the season to end earlier. He says the, the virus is one thing that keeps fooling us under both circumstances, but we don't know for sure here. Viruses do better when the weather starts to get colder. They, they're more, they, uh, they attack more. Uh, and people start spending more time inside as opposed to outside. The community has a greater chance of getting infected. The likelihood is that if you stick with the core summer months, you're better off even though there is no guarantee. If you look at the kinds of things that could happen, there's no guarantee of anything. You'd want to do it at a time when there isn't the overlap between influenza and the possibility of a fall second wave. So, Dr. Fauci, who is a scientist, and I think a lot of people trust scientists, he's <laughs> saying that uh, he it, it probably would not be best for baseball to go beyond October. Oh, so you mean that they should have started, oh, a week ago? Yes, or more. <laughs> or more. Yeah. And still really, they're, they're, well, not really. There, There is no news on the baseball front. And it seems like we're at a stalemate here that could cost us a baseball season. And there's a piece today, I think it is in the LA Times, about Rob Manfred. And will this, or it might be in The Athletic, I'll find it. But... If they cancel this season, this will be Rob Manfred's legacy. Whatever he does afterwards, if he doesn't get fired, and whatever he did before with the ridiculous rules changes, mm -hmm. the legacy would be that we had a chance to be in, have a World Series and bring baseball back and bring it to America during a pandemic, and it didn't happen. He'll be the face of that. He will. And we look at it now, and we're angry, we're frustrated, we're embarrassed for baseball, all of these things. It's going to be that much worse 10 years from now after we're sitting in the effects, the long-lasting effects of what's going to happen to baseball because of this missed opportunity, because of whatever happens. So think about how we're feeling about it now and that those feelings could be compounded a decade from now and what that's going to look like on, on Rob Manfred's legacy. Yeah, and by the way, that is at The Athletic. Ken Rosenthal wrote the piece, Rob uh, Manfred must strike a deal with the players or ruin his legacy. I just want to go back. The two lasting images I have of Bud Seeley, who did a great job for the owners in increasing revenue over the years, were his arms stretched out at the 2002 All-Star Game with the tie and nobody had pictures left. He was like, what do I do? I'm an idiot. 
And then the other one is the press conference where he announced that there wouldn't be a World Series in 1994. For all of the things that he did that were good, his legacy is screw-ups. Man. It's it's still unbelievable to me how badly they've messed this thing up. It, it and was, then it still could get well, worse. And, and it could it, still get worse. It was so easy. So easy. So easy for them. So easy. All right. The question of the day, if you are the Cardinals, would you trade Jack Flaherty, who I believe is not a long-term Cardinal? I believe Jack Flaherty in his greatness, is going to command a Garrett Cole-type contract at the very latest after his sixth year, after a new CBA is agreed to, maybe after his fifth year. If you have a strike in 2021 and the players get that fifth year so they get free agency at a younger age, the one season that you have left out of Jack Flaherty probably, well, no, definitely would be 2021. You'd have a strike in 2022, and then he would become a free agent. So you get next year out of Jack Flaherty. Nolan Arenado under contract through 2026. Yep. And he's a guy that has done exactly what Matt Holliday did in Colorado, except for the fact that he is a defensive whiz. And he's an extraordinarily hard worker. Michelle, my nephew was with the Rockies, and he, he actually just got released in the last couple of months. But it is, he got traded from the Yankees to the Rockies. And in his first year, his first spring, he wanted to get there early to introduce himself to guys and get to know players. So uh, players didn't have to show up till 7. He would get there at 6. He would drive in there. There would be one car in the parking lot. He'd go into the clubhouse, walked out the back door of the clubhouse. There's Nolan Arenado at the break of dawn after signing the $240 million contract taking ground balls. I'm impressed. You know who else, Randy, has an unbelievable work ethic and never stops? It's Jack Flaherty. Oh, he yeah. has the, the Mamba mentality. His mm-hmm. idol is Kobe Bryant. He works himself probably too much. So while Nolan Arenado at the break of dawn out there working, guess who else is already grinding? Jack Flaherty. See, you've got two great ones here. <laughs> and that's what makes this such a compelling idea. Do you want the length of term and the number of games from a number th- uh, three or four hitter? Or do you want to get get that guy that can pitch for you every fifth day for maybe two years? Randy, let's also talk about Arenado's contract that opt out after the 2021 season. Yeah, I've heard that uh, his agent, Joel Wolf really wants Arenado. Well, Joel Wolf played in the Cardinal system. And he really wants Arenado to be here. Mm-hmm. And the union wouldn't accept him just coming to St. Louis and saying, yeah, I'll give up the opt-out. But the Cardinals would, I would think, be more than willing to give him an extra year on that contract to buy out that opt-out after the 2021 season. Interesting. Yeah, because we can definitely trust his word. It's never like he signed a big deal and then been really unhappy with it in a pretty short amount of time. Yeah. Uh, Here's one from the 314. This is pretty simplistic, and I don't disagree with it. If they take Fowler, heck yeah. (laughs) That's another portion that we have not highlighted enough. Randy wants to include Fowler in the deal. Yeah, that's that one year and $16.5 So I would do that. How about uh, Joshua, one of our favorites, with a mic drop here on 101 ESPN? I've actually been thinking about this for weeks now. I mean, Flaherty's talent is undisputed. He could easily be regarded as your all-time favorite pitcher's favorite pitcher. But that is what makes him valuable. And the question is, how expensive will he be when he reaches free agency? And let's be honest, I mean, he's outspoken. And that's not something that the Cardinals particularly glorify. Tommy Pham learned that. That's it. That's a and Tommy Pham was motivated by money Mm -hmm. and was a guy that was outspoken about ownership. 
and he didn't last long. But that's really interesting, Randy, because I believe the reason that we're even having this conversation is because Nolan Arenado has been so outspoken about signing a big deal with Colorado and then saying he's unhappy there and that trashing the franchise, essentially saying they're not putting enough pieces around me yeah. to win and I care about my career and my chance to win. What what intrigues him is coming to a franchise that has been to the playoffs in 13 of the last 20 years, a place where players consistently have an opportunity to win, where Holiday said, look, I was in the World Series in 2007, and that thing collapsed in literally a year. You look at what you guys did in 2018, and that thing collapsed literally in a year. But Holiday says, it never happened in St. Louis. We, we always had a chance in St. Louis. You realize Matt Holiday had one game, one game as a member of the Cardinals that didn't matter. That's incredible. <laughs> From 2009 to 2000. 17. He had one game that didn't have playoff implications. That's so yeah, phenomenal. If I'm Matt Holiday, I'm telling anyone yeah. that will listen that they should go to St. Louis. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and a couple of more. We, we have one more mic drop we're going to get to from Nick, but I want to uh, get to a couple more. Uh, the question is Nolan over Marp or Jack over a number five starter. Kind of stupid to not make the trade. And by the way, I do believe Marp would be your DH. We, we're going to have a DH in the National League. So, And it, if they play this year, there's going to be a DH. So you keep Carpenter around for that reason. He could, If he gets back to where you hope that he could be, big if. Big if. But he, he would be a DH. He, as a third baseman, I think he is a pretty good DH. Yeah. And uh, one other one uh, from the text line 65780. Again, from the 314. Randy has definitely gotten into the devil's lettuce. Without <laughs> Flaherty, who is our number one? Hudson, Martinez, yikes. Well, they've got young pitching. And they've. And by the way, Dakota Hudson did win 17 games last year with a really good ERA. He's a good pitcher. I think because of the greatness of Flaherty in the second half, he was kind of overshadowed. He's really good. And yes, Martinez... For a four-year stretch, Martinez was a top-five starter in the National League. Now, he hasn't made a start since June <laughs> or July of 2018, but I'm not saying you don't do this trade without a level of hope. I'm just saying if you're building a baseball team, this is a team that needs offense, and you've got a lot of pitching and a lot of pitching on the way. Sure, but I would be a little bit more confident in the offensive prospects that I have on this team, I'm talking more time for Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, Lane Thomas, etc. than I would be in moving Jack Flaherty and putting my hopes and confidences in the success of Carlos Martinez. That's, that's reasonable. <laughs> I, I can totally see that. But I, I don't think it's just Carlos. I think you're looking at Libertor being a, uh, next year. Uh, Matthew Libertor is... He is a number. He's a front of the rotation guy, and they project him as being great. We saw Zach Thompson in spring training, and he has a chance to be really special. Plus, as we mentioned, you have Hudson. You still have Michaelis on your staff. Uh, you've got some, and for this year at least, you've got uh, Adam Wainwright. Maybe next year. So you've got some guys that are capable of doing some good things. Interesting. And you can vote. Would you do it? Would you do the Flaherty for Arenado? And all you have to do is go to the Twitter page, Michelle Smallman at M Smallman. You can also find her on the Insta at M Smallman. And I'm Randy Carricker on Twitter at Randy Carricker and at RJ Carricker on the Insta. Feel free to follow both of us. And Michelle's going to have a new uh, podcast coming out, right? You're going to do some editing today? I'm going to edit it today. Hopefully it's up by tomorrow. We did a state draft. I love this. And um, 
yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it, Randy, because I made one pick that my co-host thinks is quite a reach, but I'm confident in it. So we're gonna get your take on it tomorrow. We're gonna go into the Blues booth, Darren Pang, next on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. The Blues booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When it's time for new flooring in your home, real wood provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk has great floors for every home. Visit our three area showrooms and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. 22 more days have to pass before we start Blues training camp for the resumption of the 2019-2020 season. And hopefully, hockey will be able to crown a new Stanley Cup champion. We head into the Blues booth right now. And joining us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, as he does every Wednesday, is Blues analyst on FS Midwest, Darren Pang. Panger, good to have you with Michelle and Randy. How you doing? Randy, Michelle, it's great to be with you as well. Hope your Wednesday morning's going fine. Panger, it's going great. And I wanted to roll back uh, memory lane one more time with you. We had our anniversary of the Blues Parade here recently. So if you can take us back, what's your greatest memory from that day, from the Blues Parade down market? Boy, I've got a lot of great memories. Uh, number one, I had an Uber drop me off. My uh, my daughter, Sammy, and her husband, Luke, we, we got an Uber. We thought we were ahead of the game. I had to be down in the offices early. Uh, because all the broadcasters had to put on a, a golf shirt that was a Stanley Cup championship golf shirt. And as you know, by that day, I might have been a little bit foggy. You know, I mean, it was a couple of days of celebrating, and and I thought I was ahead of it. So we got dropped off on the other side of Market Street, and I thought that I could just cross the street and go into the offices. The morning of the parade. So... Um, that was quite an adventure, getting across the street, getting several police officers to escort me across the street uh, before, this, before the parade ever started. So that was a good way to start it. And then um, I tell you, the, the parade itself, I got a lot of great memories about the parade. Um, I think having, you know, having my, my daughter and my, my, uh, and my son-in-law there uh, with the champagne and popping beers and yelling with the crowd and the energy that was there and... Um, I, that was something that you, it just leaves such a mark in your memory. You just will never forget the sounds, the looks, the crowd. Um, that was, so that was something. And then I kind of transitioned into when we got on stage and there's still nothing like Brett Hull going up on stage and saying, we went blues, <laughs> <laughs> but looking out and seeing, you know, on, on stage, I, I got to interview, uh, John Hamm, who'd been, you know, who'd have gotten to know the last, maybe three years and on the road, we'd go out and have dinner, have a couple of cold ones or whatever. And during the playoff run, um, it was really a lot of fun to be with John. Um, we, uh, we went to the same restaurant before, you know, before all the games that the blues won. So we sat in the same seats. Uh, but on that, uh, being on stage and being able to interview Jordan Bennington and Larry Robinson, I interviewed and he, I mean, it was his 10th Stanley cup ring for crying out loud. So, uh, just, Seeing everybody, seeing Doug Armstrong overlooking his his staff and how proud everybody was. I, I, that's those are the things that you remember because you know, you you guys know. I mean, it may not happen again, and I you know I don't. That's not going to happen. But you, you you can't take it for granted. You have to remember it is a very very special event. It's a very difficult league to win in, and it's a, an honor to win in. So these guys did it, and the whole city of St. Louis got to got this. You know, it's got to be a part of that, and that's that'll that that makes it special for a lot of people. Listen, I had a, I had a friend of mine's father pass away, uh, Taz Berry. I, I know you guys 
probably know the Barry clan in St. Louis, and mm-hmm. I'm a big golfing fan, and uh, we had the Stanley Cup for about two or three hours uh, uh, after it was all settled down, I think September 25th, and uh, I went to Jay McGraw's is on Maryland and Clayton, and I interv- and I and I I said to Todd, I said, bring your you know bring your dad and bring your brother and come on out there, and uh, and he and he did. His dad wasn't in very good shape at the time; he was in a wheelchair and and uh, and what have you, and uh, he passed away just a couple of weeks ago. But I, that's a, just another great memory that somebody got to share in that moment, which I think is incredible. Yeah, that's fa- that's fantastic, and that's that's what winning the cup is all about: is that you're able to uh, help people experience uh, complete mm-hmm. that, that that experience. Panger, I'd heard about those dinners with the Mike Claiborne was telling me about the John Hamm dinners. Uh, who was uh, the the ringleader there? Who started that uh, superstition? Wow. Well, I think the ringleader is always Chaser, like in, <laughs> in terms of getting everybody, just getting everybody together. You know, he's, he makes the calls, and at one point, uh, it was just kind of a whole. A lot of his, you know, a lot of buddies, and everybody's there for the final. So, uh, guys that he knows well, and, and I know well, and uh, Steve Levy and, and Barry Melrose, uh, you know, Levy and, and Melrose, longtime partners of mine at, when I was at ESPN, and and uh, both obviously know Chaser well. So that was kind of started one night, and then, you know, then uh, boy, who else was there? We we just had so many guys there, and then it, you know, I but I could tell, and, and Holly was there, but we could tell where. Where, like uh, what John Hamm was on the end, and we were out in the patio, and the weather was beautiful, and we were kind of concerned maybe that all the fans would come there. I mean, everybody sees John Hamm, especially especially the females. They're just like, "Whoa, John Hamm!" And so they're all going over there, getting pictures and taking selfies and getting video clips. And he couldn't have been kinder. I mean, he just is a gentle soul and treated everybody extremely nice. So once we knew that that was a good spot to be in, then then we 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 stayed in that uh, corner the whole time. Panger, when we were sharing different videos and things that Randy and I had from that parade day, one of the things that I shared was a video of Ryan O'Reilly, and Randy and I started talking about him, and just what an important piece of the puzzle he was for the Blues to eventually get it done, to eventually get that Stanley Cup championship, and I said to Randy, while everyone on that team provided something important, I don't know if the Blues get there without the leadership and the work ethic and everything that Ryan O'Reilly contributed to that team. Well, boy, you got to give Doug Armstrong a lot of credit here. He He's had his eyes on Ryan O'Reilly for a long time, and many thought Ryan was going to be a first-rounder in his draft. You've got to remember that these general managers and their pro scouts, you know, they always go back to the draft. They always go back to the players they like then. And, uh, and you know, so I know that Army was very diligent in hammering out that deal, and it was a deal of the century. So let's get that right out of the way. Um, every time I dealt with Ryan O'Reilly, uh, I remembered at the draft his general manager – uh, in the Ontario Hockey League, Sherry Bassins his name. I've known Sherry Bassins for many, many years. Uh, when I, when I played in the Ontario League, and he's always been a gentleman, he came up to me in the draft and he says, he says, whoever gets that Ryan O'Reilly, whoever gets that Ryan O'Reilly, they're getting a stud. This guy's a stud. This guy can play. And I, and then he relayed a story. I, he played with a broken jaw one game and he didn't even, you know, so he went on and on. And I'm, I'm at the draft and I'm waiting for Ryan O'Reilly to go. And he went 31st or 32nd overall to Colorado. And so I've always followed him from that time, just just because of a, a friend and Sherry Bassin going to bat for him, and uh, his his just his his work his work ethics contagious, but he he doesn't force it down your throat. Um, it's his ability to get along with people. It's his uh, it's his ability to see the game and see the day. He sees every day clearly, um, and just goes to work. 
I just can't believe for the life of me, and I haven't said this very often, but I heard some things out of Buffalo about Ryan, and, and they threw him out of town, basically. And that's why he said at the end of his last year there that he was sick of losing and sick of being in a losing environment. So I felt bad when he came to St. Louis and we lost early on, that the, the boys couldn't get it together early on. And I remember that Buffalo writer coming in and kind of insinuating that you're, oh, in another losing environment, aren't you, Ryan? Kind of like that. And I was standing beside him, and I was kind of, I was, I was irritated. And for Ryan O'Reilly to win the Stanley Cup and to win the Conn Smythe Trophy, and I mean, what a, what a, just a great moment for a young man that, that's really fought through it. He's, got, he's a good person, and he's a good leader. He loves the guy. And ultimately, that trade got uh, Jason Botterill and that entire Buffalo front office blown up again yesterday. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Well, from what, I mean, there's a lot of you know a lot of troubles there in Buffalo. They got problems. Impatience is one of them. Yeah, there's there's impatience, and and I you know I, that trade didn't help them at all. I don't think they wanted to take on any money for that trade. They wanted future players and prospects and picks, and instead they did you know they took a contract in in. Uh, uh, in um, who they in Sabotka and they were they were they were fortunate that that Berglund actually you know reti- like left his contract. I mean, otherwise they were they were up for three point seven five for another three years on that deal. So I mean, you know, that was one of those deals that Army knew what he wanted. And he got it. He gave up a prospect. He gave up a first round pick. But at the end of the day, he got the best player and he stole that one. Yeah, no doubt. Panger, by the way, for Buffalo, last ten years, six head coaches, four GMs, three team presidents. There's, you know, look at, I mean, us in St. Louis, we should be very fortunate that, uh, you know, when, when John Davidson handed over the reins to, to Doug Armstrong, we've done nothing but win. We've done nothing but compete. I don't think any team has had more playoff games uh, than what Doug Armstrong has put together here in St. Louis. So, I mean, you, you look at other situations and it's not that way. So we've got to, we're very fortunate. That's for sure. Panger, always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We'll talk to you next week. My pleasure. Have a great day, guys. You See too. Ya. See you later. Uh, just a little over three weeks until we start training camp. Can't wait. Can't we we are going to have hockey training camp, by the way. Yes. That's going to happen. That's not a disaster. No, it's not. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you that we're going to get hockey at some point. Coming up, we've got a new fighter for the fight here on 101 ESPN. Think you can beat down Carriker? We sure hope you can. The Fight with Carriker, brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN 837 AM, which means it's time for the fight. Colin, please let everyone know what we're fighting for today. We are fighting for a gift card to Sports and Social, St. Louis's newest sports bar and gaming parlor located in Ballpark Village, opening on Wednesday. So that is today, Michelle. They have a Tex-Mex theme menu, plenty of games, ample outdoor seating with a great outdoor bar and patio overlooking the new plaza, and much more. Was there last night, Colin? Can confirm one of the new hotspots in St. Louis. I'm excited. I can't wait to check it out. From what you had said that we heard before the show, it sounded spectacular. So Outside seating, blood orange margaritas, skee-ball. What more could you ask for? All right, Dan is our fighter today. Good morning, Dan. How are you? Doing well, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Of course. You ready to go? Absolutely. All right, Dan. Question number one. On this day in 1983, Andy Van Slyke made his major league debut for the St. Louis Cardinals. How many all-star teams did Van Slyke make while he was a member of the Cardinals? Zero, three, or five? Zero. 
Question number two, legendary Mizzou head coach Gary Pinkle played his college football at Kent State. What position did Pinkle play on that Kent State team? Was it quarterback, cornerback, or tight end? Um, I believe we'll, we'll say quarterback. Dan, question number three. Trent Dilfer was the starting quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens when they won their first Super Bowl in 2000. But he didn't begin that season as the team's starting quarterback. Who did? Was it Chris Redman, Tony Banks, or Kyle Bowler? Say those uh, one more time, please. Sure. It's Chris Redman, Tony Banks, or Kyle Bowler. Who started the year 2000 as the Ravens quarterback. Um, Let's say Tony Banks. All right. And question number four. Which state was Nolan Arenado born and raised in? Is it Florida, Arizona, or California? Arizona. All right. Colin is going to get Randy. Dan, the question of the day here, speaking of Nolan Arenado, would you trade Jack Flaherty for Nolan Arenado? Yes or no? No chance. Thank you, Dan. Jeez, someone with some sense here. Appreciate your perspective, right? You would never give up Jack Flaherty. (laughs) Absolutely not. Okay. We'll have to let Randy know your stance on this. Uh, Randy, as you get settled, please say good morning to Dan. Also, Dan would not trade Jack Flaherty for Nolan Arenado. Okay, Dan. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. I can can see why people would be (laughs) conflicted here. I totally... I totally get it. I just want to make the Cardinals better for the long term. Oh, okay, Randy. Wow. Now I'm definitely pulling for Dan. All right, Randy. Question number one. And this day in 1983, Andy Vanslyke made his major league debut for the Cardinals. How many all-star teams did Andy Vanslyke make while as while he was a member of the Cardinals? Sorry, that's a phrase word. Uh, he did not make an all-star team as a member of the Cardinals. Okay. Question number two, Randy. Legendary Mizzou head coach Gary Pinkle played his college football at Kent State. What position did he play on that team? I believe he was a tight end. Uh, Nick Saban was on that team, too, by the way. Mm -hmm. They were pretty good coaching Mm on that team. Don James was head coach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Any more fun facts you have? Any more brain busters, Uh, Randy? uh, Gary would be one of 11 coaches to make the college. uh, I thought that there would be more. 11 coaches to make the college football Hall of Fame. Randy Trent Dilfer was the starting quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens when they won their first Super Bowl in 2000. He didn't start that season as a team starting quarterback, though. Who did? Pretty Tony. Tony Banks. A.K.A. Uh, dad of Felony. <laughs> Took his dog Felony, a Rottweiler, to training camp as a member of the Rams back in 1997. That was classic. Didn't come home with the team from a game in Miami. Tony didn't because he wanted wanted to celebrate his uh, girlfriend's birthday with her in Miami so he doesn't show up for work on Monday. I'm sure that went over well. Really well. So. People not showing up to work doesn't seem to work out in their favor. And uh, Coach Vermeil. To his credit, he was great, and he handled it very well. But I remember asking Tony uh, about it, because that, that was the big story. And so he, he's not on the team plane coming back, oh, man. and not at the facility on Monday. And he said, yeah, I just uh, wanted to hang out with my girlfriend. And I said, well, what about the concept of coming to work? <laughs> said, yeah, I really wasn't thinking about that. Mm. Tony, what what are you doing? And he grew up. He was very immature then. He, he's a really good guy. And uh, that was just unfortunate. But yeah, Tony Banks, the starter for the start to that season for the Baltimore Ravens. Question number four, Randy. Which state was Nolan Arenado born and raised in? California. We've got a winner. Go crazy, Still champion of the fight, Randy Carroll.
Sorry, Dan. Randy beat you. The sweep. Four to two. Let's run through these answers here. You're disappointed. Well, <laughs> you just, Randy, you're so good. You're so good at this. And I want, I just was pulling for Dan because he wants to keep Jack Flaherty. He's on my team here. We're teammates in this Michelle. fight. All right. Andy Van Slyke made zero all-star teams as a member of the Cardinal, but he, Cardinals, but he did make three all-star teams when he was with the Pirates. Gary Pinkle played college football at Kent State. He was a tight end. He was college teammates with Nick Saban and Jack Lambert, Randy. Mm -hmm. uh, Tony Banks started as the quarterback for the Ravens the year they won the Super Bowl in 2000. He was benched during week eight of that season. And Nolan Arenado was born and raised in California. He grew up in Orange County. Dan, thanks so much for playing. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Dan, thank you very much. Dan with us on 101 ESPN. And we're going to get to Tim Kirkchen of ESPN next with Carriker and Swalman. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And joining us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is a guy who's had a busy morning, ESPN's Tim Kirkjian. Tim, it's always great to talk to you. How are you doing this morning? Uh, I'm doing well. Everything's good. How are you guys and girls? Everybody good? Everybody's good. We're, we're actually talking real baseball here. And here is our debate of the day, Tim, with the Cardinals. Being in a situation with Jack Flaherty where they know he's, he's uh, nothing wrong with this, but he's highly motivated by money. All right. He, he's going to want that Garrett Cole contract by the end of 2023 and maybe before that, depending on what happens with the CBA. Would you, if you're in the Cardinals shoes, trade Jack Flaherty for Nolan Arenado? With the knowledge that you probably won't have Flaherty beyond 2023. <laughs> Boy, can you give me something easier than that? <laughs> um, I would not trade Jack Flaherty. I would say that he looks exactly like a great pitcher is supposed to look like. And even though I'm very much a position player guy, and Nolan Arenado's unbelievable, I think you hang on to your starting pitcher, and then you sign him no matter what. Now, who knows where the finances of the game are going to be at by 2023 with everything that's going on. Everything could conceivably change. Maybe you could get Jack Flaherty for way less than you think you can. Or maybe there'll be way more. But given how great that guy is and how great he's going to become, I think I would hang on to the great arm, especially when he's as athletic as that guy. Tim, I know the finances could change, but ballpark, what do you think that Flaherty would command? <laughs> well, if he has several more, if he has two more great years, and that's impossible to gauge now because we don't even know if there's only one great year or any years, uh, he's going to get $200 million. I mean, my goodness, he's going to be in the prime of his career to Max Scherzer got that a few years ago and got it and has earned every penny of it so far. You got to think that's where Jack Flaherty's going to be. But given what Garrett Cole got, he might even get more. But of course, it all depends on him being great and continuing to be great. And part of that would be being able to pitch in 2020. Tim Kirchner with us on 101 ESPN. Where do you stand right now? Uh, Rob Manfred said he's not as confident about playing. Where is Tim Kirchner's head right now on whether or not we play in 2020? Well, I'm not particularly confident either, but I think we're going to play. I think what's happened here is that the union has gotten very solid and very unified. 
And a bunch of the star players in the game, including Mike Trout, have come out on Twitter and basically said, just say when and where. I think this is a really powerful message. I think it puts an enormous amount of pressure on the owners. The players who haven't budged much, they're far from blameless in all of this, are saying we want to play and we want to play as soon as possible. And the owners who don't have the same look at the game like they did, say, 40 years ago, they're not as invested, still have to understand that the only way out of this enormous predicament baseball's in is to start playing some games and to watch Mike Trout and to watch Garrett Cole and to watch Jack Flaherty. That's the only way out of this. So I just have to think with the pressure on the commissioner now, who's getting pounded on a daily basis, and the pressure on both sides to do something that somehow, some way, they're going to figure it out and we're going to play 48 or 54 or 60 games. That's what I think, and I'm guessing, and I'm just being a little too hopeful at times. (laughs) We all are, Tim. And you're a baseball lifer. You are uh, an encyclopedia of baseball knowledge. This situation couldn't have gone really any worse. You have the commissioner of baseball coming on a national platform saying that this is a disaster. And when you look throughout baseball history, where do you rank this as one of the things that baseball has done that has been detrimental to the game? Where do you put this when you look at it in context? Well, I covered the 81 strike, and that was awful, believe me. I covered, of course, 94-95 when we canceled the World Series, and that was devastating. Uh, I've done the steroids. We've all done those. And it's it's all terrible. But this one in its own right is in a separate compartment. Given what's going on in the country right now, protesters in the street, a pandemic going on, 40 million Americans out of work, and we have a squabble over money. When you put all the elements together, this is such a bad look for baseball. Maybe not the worst look ever, but so bad right now. And that's the other reason why something has to be done. I just I can't believe that Rob Manford, who was there during the you know, the World Series being canceled, can't recognize my sport is a disaster. I have to change it. So we're gonna have to figure out how to do that and that's why the next few days, the next week is gonna be critical to potentially saving this season. And Tim, Bill DeWitt said uh, last week that he's not concerned that baseball is resilient and it's always bounced back. And, and it has always bounced back from all of those things that you just uh, talked about that you have observed. But do you think it can bounce back from at this time if they don't play? Well, I'm with Bill DeWitt. Baseball is so great. And ask anyone in St. Louis how much they love the game. They will come back, and eventually people will come back. But this one, again, is different. Let's just say the NFL, the NHL, and the NBA all play this year. And baseball doesn't play because of a squabble over money. That is going to do enormous damage, not just for this year, obviously. It's going to affect the offseason and free agency. It's going to tumble into next season and hurt that. And then, of course, we have to get to a collective bargaining agreement after the 2021 season. So 
everyone has to recognize that this is crisis management. This is like a collective bargaining negotiation, but that's what it has become. So I say nothing can kill baseball. It's too good. But if it, it happens the way I just laid it out, in the worst-case scenario, it's going to take years before this game comes back to prominence. And I even wonder if it will ever come back to prominence in the way we expect. We just watched Long Gone Summer where McGuire Sosa, the home run chase, was a huge thing that saved, quote, saved baseball. And I think about the damage that has already been done with baseball, the fact that it's more of a regional sport now than a national sport, and the lack of star power in baseball is really one of the things that bothers me when I think about the long-term viability of baseball. You mentioned we need Mike Trout out there playing. We need guys like Jack Flaherty out there playing. Here in St. Louis, we're always going to cheer for the birds on the bat. It doesn't really matter who's in that uniform. We're going to watch the games. But nationally, I don't really know many general sports fans that are going to sit in front of a TV and say, I have to watch Mike Trout play baseball. And I think that's a big problem that baseball has. Well, you're right about that. It's a regional game now, not a national game. And it, and it worries me tremendously that, you know, if the Pirates were in the World Series uh you know, against the Royals, uh, would anyone in L.A. or New York care about that? And if the Yankees are playing the Dodgers, does anybody, you know, in the middle of the country really care about that? that that's what's disturbing to me. I think we have more great players playing right now than any time that, that I think I can ever see as far as talent goes. But we need to market them better. We need to get Mike Trout out there in front of people more often. But there's simply no way Mike Trout is ever going to be like LeBron James is in that sport because LeBron James touches the ball in every possession. He can dominate any game. He's always the best player on the court, and it doesn't work that way in baseball. Mike Trout isn't always the greatest player that some of us have ever seen. Tim Kirchner with us. A couple more quick things, Tim. First of all, and I told this story on the air, uh, I, I think yesterday. You have a, a feature up at your daily baseball fix. It's about Ted Williams today. And when I was a really young broadcaster, I was maybe 22 years old, Ted came into town for a card show, and I interviewed him, and I had done all this research, and you know his history very well about his relationship with the media. And at the end of the interview, I said... I read all of this stuff about you, about how difficult you were for the media, and you've been such a pleasure. I really thank you. And he said, oh, those guys didn't know what the hell they were talking about. You know baseball. He loved talking baseball, didn't he? He did. And one of the highlights of my entire career was getting to interview Ted Williams at the 1999 Hall of Fame induction. And I was scared to death because this is my... This was my dad's all-time baseball hero. I grew up to stories about him. And I did like a six-minute interview with him, and it was fantastic. He was fantastic. And it was, it was such a highlight for me because the passion that he had speaking about the game, you know, almost 40 years after he retired was just unbelievable. And it was just so cool to see. And one last thing, uh, 2003, I am at Patios. You know Patios right outside Bush Stadium. And the Cubs yeah. are in town. And Cubs fans come up to me and say, hey, would you trade Pujols for Pryor? And I said, no, no way. And the Cubs fans said, there's no way we would trade Pryor for Pujols. <laughs> Pryor's going to be so good for so long. Well, the beauty of baseball is just when you think you understand it, 
you realize that you don't. The game is too good to be predicted. It's too good to be understood. It surprises us every day. Love that idea. Tim, it's always great to hear your voice. Thanks so much. We do appreciate your time, and we'll do it again soon. Okay, Randy. Thank you, Michelle. See you. See you later. That is the great Tim Kirkton on 101 ESPN. What a... What a great human being he is. I love it so much when ESPN comes in, especially because Dan Schulman is a longtime friend. And when, when Dan was doing the, the Sunday night games, it was great. But that crew is such a fun crew to be around. And I just I love going to the Sunday night games if for no other reason than to hang out with them for a little while. So do I. I miss it so much. Yeah. It's it's the best. Yeah. Uh, coming up, we've got today's big thing, which is actually something that hasn't happened and probably won't happen <laughs> but it's today's big thing on our show on 101 ESPN that was the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN